May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. On this week's episode, we get a chance to learn more about narrative medicine. Narrative medicine is a part of medicine that uses the skills involved in looking at literature to interviewing patients. The premise of narrative medicine is that how someone speaks about his or her illness or complaint or symptoms is analogous to how literature offers a plot in interconnected events with all the different characters, which are the patients and those involved in their life, as well as all of the metaphors and emotions and ways of speaking that go along with it. This is very important because elements of literature facilitates the understanding of the patient's journey, what they've been through. This also is very helpful in making the diagnosis using a comprehensive holistic approach that uses their narratives in clinical practice, also looking at research and education to help promote healing. Beyond attempts to reach this accurate diagnosis, aims to address the relational and psychological dimensions that occur in unison with the physical illness. Narrative medicine aims to not only validate the experience of the patient, it also encourages creativity and self-reflection in the physician. And as we will learn in this week's episode, it helps reduce burnout and helps those who are struggling to improve in how they function. And to do that, we will be having a special guest, Dr. Campbell. For those of you who are listening to the podcast for the first time, I am Dr. Michael Lenz. I am author of the book, Conquering Your Fibromyalgia, Real Answers and Real Solutions for Real Pain. I am a pediatrician and internal medicine doctor, as well as a clinical lipidologist and lifestyle medicine physician. I've been a doctor for almost 27 years and have been working in the world of fibromyalgia to help those who are suffering and with related conditions to live the best life possible, trying to blend the best of lifestyle medicine with medical management using an evidence-based approach. This podcast is meant for those who are living with fibromyalgia and related problems, for their loved ones who don't have this but would like to gain insights to help their family member or friend live better as well as doctors or others in the healthcare field to help care for their patients with these often severely distressing, despairing, and frustrating conditions. Remember that this podcast is for informational purposes only. All signs and symptoms should be discussed with your own individual doctor. And now on to this week's episode. 
excited to have a special guest here. This is Dr. Bruce Campbell, and he's recently retired within the last year working in the world of ear, nose, and throat surgery, and also has a very strong interest in narrative medicine and continues to be helping the medical community and author of a book that's come out within the last year, as well as working with medical students. And also, I found him through the American College of Physicians, who's going to host in a couple of weeks from the time of this recording already will have happened by the time this gets on air for the podcast, but talking about narrative medicine. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Campbell. Thank you, Dr. Lenz. Appreciate it. Thanks. That's great. So tell us about your background as a physician and or sure. whatever backstory you, you want to share yeah. to make talking about narrative medicine. Yeah, happy to talk about that. I grew up in the Chicago area, so not too far away, but just far enough away since my family lived there and we lived in Milwaukee. It was great when our kids were little because grandma and grandpa were real far away, but they didn't drop in unexpectedly very often. So it was a nice distance for us. I went to Purdue University undergrad and then back to Chicago for Rush for medical school and came to MCW for my otolaryngology or ENT residency. And then I went to MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston for a two-year head and neck surgery fellowship and decided Milwaukee was great. We loved it here. So my wife and I moved back in 1987 and was on the faculty at the medical school, actually still on the faculty. But my clinical practice was revolved around patients with cancer, primarily benign and malignant diseases of the head and neck. I didn't do sinuses or dizziness or ears or things like that, crazy specialty things. I ended up doing mostly cancer and tumors, oral cavity and salivary glands, thyroid, things like that. And I worked both at the VA and at Freighter little bit of children's, not very much, and retired from my clinical practice completely last summer. So now my work is primarily with the medical students. I do work with reflective writing, helping them prepare their personal statements for residency application, work with the current institute. I've been editing a newsletter for a couple of years and also editing a couple of books for them since I have an interest in writing, which I guess we'll be talking about. And uh, just to live in the dream, still uh, still enjoying being uh, around. Now we've got our own grandkids, and uh, we're enjoying living in, in the state still. Awesome, and thanks so much. And it sounds like you were part of an academic medicine, and in some sense being always connected with training, residency, working with the Medical College of Wisconsin and the Freighter Medical, and assuming VA is part of that, always been in part of wanting to be connecting and helping the next generation. I enjoyed doing clinical research. I had a grant at one point to look at issues that our cancer survivors were facing, long-term cancer survivors, because there was this sort of thing that you follow someone for five years and they're cancer-free, and then you tell them they're fine, goodbye, good luck to you. And a lot of them still had terrible problems after five years, and actually the problems tended to get worse. And so that was the focus of my work was to try and learn as much as we could about people who were more than five years out from their cancer treatment, because I thought they were a group of patients who just didn't have a voice in medicine. And uh, there wasn't any research money really to look at that group. But we did a couple of projects, and that was an interesting niche to work in for a while as well. Yeah. So we're talking about narrative medicine. It's something that you probably never were taught when you were in medical school or (laughs) residency. And we haven't, although it's interesting as I'm doing research for the topic neurasthenia, going back to the 1800s and early 1900s, it was doctors spending a lot of time to get a chance to hear patient stories. So in one sense, probably for a while, wasn't maybe regularly incorporated, but in the history of medicine was a relatively yeah. big part of it, but wasn't formally maybe called narrative medicine. Tell us what narrative medicine is. Yeah, no, that's good. So narrative medicine is actually two different things. So there is actually a very narrowly defined 
field of narrative medicine. There's a department of narrative medicine and ethics at Columbia University where a lot of the work has grown from. So Rita Sharon is the chair of that department. She and a group of friends back in the 90s developed some projects where they were focused on how to help medical students particularly understand that patients are part of a story. And someone who comes in, you tend to refer to the gallbladder in room six or the, the trauma down in the ED. And it's actually it's a human being who happens to be interfacing with the medical system. And how do you get students so they reflexively want to know about the person's story rather than just about what piece is broken today? And I, and also to understand that, particularly with chronic illness, how each little individual episode is just a tiny piece of the patient's life. But for the physician, or particularly for medical students, that is all that they focus on. So it really is a, it's a whole field where students at, at Columbia, the goal is to use the creative work, paintings and music and fiction and short stories and poetry. And you get people working in a group to discuss a particular piece of creative work and then write in the shadow of that in a way that allows them to explore a topic in a way that lets them understand the creative work and the reflective pieces are within us all the time. We just need to find ways to coax them out. And I think that's what a lot of narrative medicine is. So that's that sort of little Columbia University Associated Narrative Medicine. That's I do a lot of that kind of reflective and writing in the shadow of a creative work with students and residents of my own. But there's this larger picture where, again, understanding stories is critical. And particularly, in, I know that your work is in chronic illness, but that is absolutely a, a perfect example. I'm on the editorial board of a medical journal called Intima, which is a narrative medicine journal. And we get so many submissions from people who have chronic pain or chronic illness or have taken care of someone who has had chronic illness because those stories are just so deeply ingrained in people. They become such a part of their identity, but there's really no place to tell them. You go to a dinner party and people just don't want to hear about your knee. They really don't want to hear about your knee for an hour. But it's the only thing you can think about because every time you move your leg, something hurts. Writing about things or writing within a context of illness has become critical really for people to understand their stories. And a lot of this actually, I think, grew out of the HIV crisis of the 90s. Suddenly, people were writing stories of illness, stories of caregiving in a way that really hadn't happened in this country before that. HIV really, I think, flipped a switch. The reason that we talk about that is because, for example, the flu in 1918 killed, I, and to be honest, I honestly don't remember, I think it was like 600,000 Americans died in the flu epidemic in the second decade of the of this last century. But you really find almost nothing written about it. You'd think that there'd be this incredible outpouring of, of work. I've read books that were written that era, and there's no mention of it. So, and part of the explanation I've heard, which I don't know if it's true or not, is that that just wasn't part of the cultural milieu at the time. But once HIV came along, suddenly that writing instinct seemed to have been released. And I think it's continued, and I really believe that as a result, a lot of illness stories and caregiver stories, places, and I have to admit that some amazing bad doctor stories have been written by patients and caregivers. And I think a lot of it, I think that has been unleashed, or at least it's become acceptable and useful and shared and appreciated in the last 20, 30 years. So I like reading it, and I've enjoyed editing it as well. Yeah, I think that's a great summary of things that one specific residency or medical school, and then a broader understanding and trying to incorporate that. And 
the humanity of the people. They're more, there's always a backstory. What impact does that have on patients? What does the research show when the patient is able to share their story? Sure. I can tell you some personal experiences of my own, <laughs> storyteller that I am. I remember when we were in training, and I, I trained a bit before you did, but there was this thing that we called the uh, the syndrome of the little paper, the petite papier, where people would come in and they'd have everything all written out carefully. And actually, we made fun of that because it was like, these people are so focused on their illness, they're writing everything down. And But to, to me, that's actually really helpful now. People come in, they've got stuff laid out, they can tell you a narrative of what's happened. They can tell you how it affects them and how it affects their relationships. And to me, that's been useful. And I've actually had patients who are aware that I've done writing, and I've been writing for years, blogging and other kinds of essays and things. And I've had people bring me their manuscripts. I've had patients come in and say, or they say, I've written this story, or would you mind looking at this? Or this was, it seemed like a good way to explain to you what's been going on in my life. So I wrote it out. And that that opened some doors that I think that released some, it released the smoke into the air so we could actually see what was going on. We could understand the relationships better. So I think to me, that's one of the things that allowing people and saying, again, one more story, I guess, but when I see people, when I, when I saw people in the office, instead of saying, where does it hurt or what's, or when did this start? You basically say, tell me your story. And then when they've told their story, you sit there and you're quiet. And because a lot of times what the really important part of the story is, as you well know, comes out after there's a period of silence. And then at the end of the visit, the question is always, what else do I need to know? Or what else What else is going on that, I, that would be helpful for me to know? And those are the kinds of questions we really weren't taught when we were in medical school to ask. And particularly now with electronic medical record with pull downs and drop down GUIs and things like that, you're, this 44-year-old man has had a sore left ankle for three weeks after a fall or something like that. And that's just, it's so limiting. And the studies show that people come in the office to talk to the doctor and the doctor interrupts within 12 seconds routinely. Even doctors who have had training and communication skills interrupt way too soon. And they don't, they never let the patient tell the story. Starting with the tell me your story and finishing with what else do I need to know has allowed me, I think, I hope to understand what issues patients come in. The worst thing that I would say is if a patient comes in and goes home and says, I never really got to talk about the thing that brought me to the doctor's office today. That's a failure. And it's an expensive failure. And it's a failure that means that you're going to have to do it all again at some point in the future because you never really solved the problem. So those are how stories, I think, incorporate into a clinical practice in a way that allows patients to tell their stories. And I think to me, it's always more interesting that way. And it's it was a sort of my my prevention of burnout as I was as I was in my career. But sharing stories and actually seeing a couple of people's manuscripts over the years, that was a lot of fun. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I want to briefly interrupt the podcast to inform you about the Fibromyalgia Starter Pack, which is now available. If you are new to this podcast, it categorizes the episodes in a way that it's more beneficial for those new to fibromyalgia. You can access the link in the show notes to learn more. And I think it's so interesting to actually hear people's stories if you get a chance and trying to balance in the visit. But I had a recent patient and I had a, one of earlier podcasts is to actually write down your story, especially dealing with chronic fibromyalgia and overlapping conditions. And I had a patient who said to me recently who brought in a six page story going back to childhood. And I, cause she had 
heard the podcast and she said, you're the first doctor I've ever got a chance to tell my story to and who wanted to hear my story was actually interested in hearing the story. And it's actually makes life a lot more interesting than just you know, keep, as far as a doctor, you get a chance to hear a biography of people's lives and it's makes everybody's got their own unique story. And as doctors, there's a lot of common themes, just like action adventure and different types, but it's makes, I think, a lot more interesting for the doctor too, to get a chance to know somebody out of curiosity. And the question that I have is I work in internal medicine, pediatrics, chronic pain, and lifestyle medicine, how does a subspecialist, ENT doctor, who is, in a sense, we talk on this podcast, and one of the problems in medicine is it gets so much into silos that somebody might see somebody for TMJ, but doesn't recognize that this is a part of a bigger picture of stress or impact of social and other things. But how did you get into this as a subspecialist into the world of narrative medicine? That's a great question. I had an administrative role at the medical school many years ago. I'd been journaling for years. My favorite classes in college were history and English and things like that, although I was a biology major, chemistry minor, all that stuff, to go to medicine. But I had this administrative role, and every month there was a newsletter. And back in those days, newsletters were actually printed on a piece of paper, and eight and a half by 11. And so they said, okay, you got this role. We need a director's column. It's three and a half inches long. It sits on the front page right here. Every month, you got to write something. And my experience with the director's columns tended to be, everything's great. We're doing fine. Everything's good. And we're so wonderful. So I said, let me just have some fun with this. I had been collecting these stories over the years. So I started writing patient stories out. I didn't do it every month, but I did it for several of the first few columns. And I got so much great feedback. People said, that was a really interesting story. What happened to that guy? Or tell me more about that. And thanks so much for sharing that. I really liked it. Or tell a patient that I've been thinking about them. And I thought, this is really interesting. People really seem to connect with that. And these were all like 300-word essays. They were not big deals, but they were noticed. And they were things that people paid attention to much more than a lot of the other stuff. So when my job ended with that administrative role, the hospital asked me to continue writing a blog. Not because they loved my writing, but they wanted to drive traffic to the website. So I kept writing, and every week or two, I would put something on the blog. And then it just kept growing. And at that point, I had enough confidence in my writing that I started submitting to JAMA, Peace on My Mind, things like that, and had a few essays published. And it grew to the point where I was thinking about publishing a book, a collection of them. But at first, I wanted to learn more about it. So Columbia, people I talked about a few minutes ago, they have an online course in narrative medicine. It's a certificate program that takes about three years to complete. And I took that and I learned so much about the process of nuts and bolts of writing, but also qualitative research and the pedagogy of, of teaching narrative and things like that. So it was just a nice experience for me to dive a little bit deeper, learn more, and really build confidence in writing. Because in medicine, we write a lot, right? But it mostly it's a progress note in the chart. A progress note for those who are not familiar has a very structured way of documenting the office visit or hospital note. There is an acronym, SOAP, which stands for subjective, what the patient says, and the history. Objective, which includes the physical exam, labs, and tests. A, which is for assessment, the decision-making progress, synthesizing those, and the P, which stands for plan, which is what you're going to do, the treatment. 
the fact that we're not confident in our writing. And I wasn't confident in my writing any more than anybody else because I'd never really taken much writing courses. But the fact that I had had these experiences in writing, it gave me enough confidence to eventually put a collection together and to continue writing and to start teaching it because there just wasn't anybody else to do it. And that's been really fun for me. So as my clinical career was ramping down and I was looking for things to keep me busy, the narrative piece came up and that's I've done that. Most of the stuff I've done since I retired clinically has had to do either with writing or editing. And that's been just a delight for me. I've loved it. So instead of retiring from something, I was able to retire into something, which is good. And you get the chance to not be on call as much and not have to, if you get older doing surgeries, kind of our Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, eventually your arm gets sore and run down from yeah. doing throwing footballs and tying sutures and doing surgery and all right. that. But you get a chance to still get connected with the younger generation of medical students. It keeps you young and makes you feel old at the same time. I tell you, that's really fantastic. Oh, yeah, that's exciting. Why didn't you tell the listeners about the book that you recently published sure. just happen to have a copy right here so this is this is the book a fullness of uncertain significance stories of surgery clarity and grace so it's about 60 essays they're all short kind of thing that i they're all most of them are patient stories some of my stories from my life family stories about my parents and others that influenced me and it's taken from the arc of when i was working as a nursing assistant in a hospital in the chicago area when i was in college up through uh, point. I This was published a year and a half ago, so just before I retired, but it really does talk about the transition out of practice and into retirement. I like to think that they're funny. Many of them are, have some humor built in, but I think they all have at least a little bit of insight into what we do. Wanted people, particularly medical students or people outside of medicine, to understand that what a surgeon does. It's one of those kind of mystery professions, and the surgeons on Gray's Anatomy or Scrubs that sort of have a certain way of behaving and maybe we're not all quite like that. I wanted to show a bit of what the life is so people would potentially be intrigued in what we do. So it was fun and I've gotten some nice feedback from it. I was and another nice thing, I was able to work with a publisher in Waukesha. It was a good local woman-owned business. It's called 1016 Press. It's part of Orange Hat Publishing right in downtown Waukesha and they've been just a delight to work with. It's been fun from start to finish and I've enjoyed it and I've enjoyed the chance to go talk about it. I've done some grand rounds at a few medical schools and and places around just to talk about the book and done some reading. So it's so been good. If there's a listener out there, and there's probably many listeners like this who've never really gotten a chance to even consider writing down their story. Yeah. And you have t- two doctors that are here that are aging. That's something that we want to hear your story. We wanted, yeah. I do, and you did, and you thought that was very helpful to have that what kind of advice or guidance you might give to somebody, and many people here, unfortunately, have had really sometimes many decades of struggle and sure. often are one of the, we call this an invisible illness in the world because many doctors don't even acknowledge it's a real thing. They may think it's all in their head, for example, but what kind of advice yeah. and guidance for, for those people who are struggling? Sure. So one thing that you said I think is really critical is it's been going on for a long time. And you give someone a piece of blank paper and a pencil and say, write your story. It's really hard. That's a really hard thing to do for many people. But if you get a, take a piece of paper and someone gives you a prompt, write about a good day or write about a day when things change suddenly and set a timer for five minutes and just start writing. 
and don't stop until the timer goes off. Sometimes that really helps because I think it it allows people to work to a prompt and it gives you a very confined start and stop. And that's a doable chunk of time and a, a doable experience. And I think a lot of times that's, for me, in those kind of experiences, when I was trying to write about something and I couldn't figure out where to start, by working with a prompt and just doing a short burst of writing, sometimes that's really got the creative juices started. And the reason that happens for me, and I think others have found this as well, is you start writing and you think, well, what am I going to write about? And then you just start writing. And by the time that five minutes is up, you actually are on a pretty good roll and it's not ended up anywhere near where you thought it was going to because your mind starts percolating and you've got this topic that you want to work on. And you say, it reminds you of something else as you're writing and then you keep going. And by the time you get to the end of that, you really have a nice start on something that might actually turn out to be really helpful. When I'm working with students, I say, you write about what you saw and what you heard and what you smelled and what you felt, but you don't write about felt with your hand. You don't write about your feelings. You don't do any reflection at that point. You just write strictly about the objective things that you see or hear or taste, things like that, things that are in front of you, you write those down. And then later on, if you're going to develop this thing, then you go back and analyze it. Because if you're like me, you spend all day cogitating, thinking about why stuff happens or what's going on or trying to understand. But sometimes we don't pay close enough attention to what's actually the moment in front of us. It's then the Buddhist ringing the bell and paying attention to exactly what they're seeing or what they're, what's they're experiencing at that very moment. So that allows you that chance to Sit still and live in that moment just for long enough that you can gather some of that in and then go from there. So I guess if the listeners were going to start, that's what I would do is if you're going to get your computer screen or a blank piece of paper and a pencil and a timer or set your watch or whatever and give yourself five minutes and write to a very specific prompt about and you can make up your own or you can you can go online and look for prompts, writing prompts. And there's lots of sites that will provide that. But those are the ways that started with that process of writing. And maybe that'll turn into a longer narrative that will help to sort out exactly what's going on. It might not, but actually it's a lot of fun. And I've learned a lot in the process of doing that. Unfortunately, in the chronic pain world, often people almost feel like they don't want to be heard. Like you said, somebody's at a, a get gathering and they don't want to hear about your knee. Oh, you're hurting, you're in pain, you're sore. But who else are you going to talk to? Because that's often on your mind. But... What is interesting and often in the world of fibromyalgia and overlapping syndromes is you may not realize as you're hitting that moment of time, the presence in the physician evaluating you is somebody who's really struggling, but may not know behind that story used to be a very vibrant, mm. very active person who had a very full life, who now through a series of things has gotten worn down and is only a shadow of what their dreams have and often have, yeah. don't have a lot of, of that hope. But many doctors may be very nearsighted and not be able to see the backstory right. of your life and have that. And then even going beyond that. And I think that's often therapeutic yeah. for people if they can tell us when it's in the beginning yeah. and going back to what was life like in childhood and other things. And now in the uh, computer records, uh, I had a patient of mine who, in addition to a questionnaire, sent it through the electronic medical record. And also I had him write a narrative. And he said, my story with this condition. Yeah. And it was going back. And it was something that I'm like, oh, I didn't know you grew up in Tennessee. Oh, yeah. My parents moved around and had different jobs. I'm like, I didn't know that. As you probably know, those little 
pieces of information, you'll never forget that patient because they shared something about you and you have nobody exactly like that patient who's lived that experience. There's a national project at VA hospitals where medical students will go in and interview veterans while they're in the hospital and help them write their stories. And those stories become part of the medical record. To me, that's just a great idea where it was impacted by their time in service or maybe their family or their time, other things. But that becomes, because it's part of your story, it should be part of your records. And I think that's the people help, the students help the veterans write their stories. They go over and make sure that they're correct. And if it's okay with the veteran, they go in the record. And I think we should do that for everybody. I think that's absolutely, I love your story because I think that is absolutely correct. I just heard, and it might not be the same study, I forget which doctor brought this up in the world of narrative medicine, might have been the doctor from Columbia, where they had doctors, might have been med students who got a chance to listen to veterans' stories. And the veterans felt better because they got a chance to share their story. And there was lower rates of burnout in doctors who got a chance to hear the stories. That's where we will end this week's episode. We will continue the conversation with Dr. Campbell in part two of this series. If you have the opportunity and have enough clear thinking and not a lot of brain fog, take the opportunity to use your creativity and write down your story. Maybe you can use a prompt, maybe the first day. Just take 10 minutes and write down what you recall for the first five years of your life. What do you know from what was told to you from when you were born up until you started kindergarten? And if you're not sure, ask one of your parents or one of your older siblings or one of your aunts or uncles or grandparents of what they recall. You may have not even remembered this perspective. What kind of temperament or behavior were you? What was your sleeping like? How active were you? When did you first start talking and walking? Did you have any accidents in the first five years of life? Those are some prompts that you can use in the writing of your story. I hope that you have enjoyed this podcast. If you have, please hit the like or follow button leave a five-star rating and review, and please share with others. That way, more people can learn to live a healthier, better life with fibromyalgia and related problems. And also your loved ones and other medical doctors and providers can learn how to provide the best care for you using a evidence-based approach, combining the best of medical management and lifestyle medicine. Until next week, go Team Fibro.